Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Long Island, New York. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. On January 17, 2020, at around 9.40 a.m., New York police officer Michael Valva wasn't the one responding to an emergency. He was the one who called. Michael told the 911 dispatcher that his 8-year-old son Tommy had fallen in the driveway and banged his head. He said he picked Tommy up and put him into a warm shower, but he had stopped breathing. Michael told the dispatcher that he was doing CPR, but it looked like Tommy's belly was filling up with air and he wasn't responding to anything. There was clearly no time to waste here, so emergency responders rushed to the scene as fast as they could. According to court documents, when first responders arrived, they found Tommy and Michael in the basement. Tommy had no pulse and was cold to the touch. Medics took over CPR, but as hard as they tried, they couldn't revive him. An officer carried Tommy to an ambulance where CPR continued as they made their way to the hospital, with Michael following closely behind. Unfortunately, no matter what the paramedics did, Tommy was completely unresponsive. At 10.20 a.m., he was officially declared dead. Shortly after Tommy was rushed to the hospital, a Suffolk County police sergeant went to the Valva house to talk to Michael's fiance, Angela Polina. Angela explained what happened that morning, telling the sergeant that Tommy and Michael were outside waiting for the school bus when Tommy fell. Michael brought Tommy back inside through the garage, noting that Tommy was crying excessively, but according to Angela, this was common for Tommy, who was autistic. Angela mentioned that Michael then brought Tommy downstairs for a bath because he had soiled himself, and after that, Tommy stopped breathing and lost consciousness. While the sergeant was there, he also spoke to Michael's housekeeper, who'd helped Michael try to revive his son, and once all of that was done, he offered to get Angela a ride to the hospital, but she declined, saying she could drive herself. Angela did make her way there, but upon her arrival, had to be treated for anxiety. At around 11.30 a.m., a detective showed up at the hospital to talk to Michael. Michael explained that Tommy was waiting for the bus by himself while Michael watched from inside the house. Something distracted him for a moment, and when he turned back around to keep his attention on Tommy, he said he saw Tommy face down in the driveway. Michael went outside to help his son, and though Tommy had a few scrapes, he seemed to be okay. Michael told the detective that Tommy had soiled his pants, so he brought him into the garage, changed him, and put the dirty clothes in a bag. After that, Michael took Tommy into the basement and gave him a warm shower because Tommy was complaining about being cold. Then, according to Michael, Tommy's condition got inexplicably worse and he passed out and stopped breathing. Michael called Angela for help and then dialed 911. Right off the bat, detectives noticed a few red flags with Michael and Angela's stories. For one, children don't generally die after falling down in the driveway, especially when they only get a few scrapes. Court records state that while it was possible for Tommy to have fallen down, no one thought that was what contributed to his death. 
He actually had multiple abrasions on the top of his hairline and middle of his forehead that ran down to the bridge of his nose. The only problem was some of these abrasions had scabs on them, which meant that they definitely hadn't just happened. Hospital workers further noted that there were no abrasions on Tommy's hands or knees. So if Tommy did fall down, like Michael said, he had fallen face first and hadn't tried to catch himself. The scrapes were one thing, but the second and most glaring red flag here was Tommy's internal temperature. At the time he got to the hospital, it was found to be 76.1 degrees Fahrenheit. Hypothermia starts at 95 degrees, and Tommy was 19 degrees below that. Michael claimed Tommy was complaining about being cold, but that's frankly not even possible. According to the National Institute of Health, drastic and irreparable changes in organ structure and function can occur when body temperature falls below 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Taking this a step further, if a person's internal temperature gets below 84 degrees Fahrenheit, Better Health states a person will be unresponsive, rigid, not breathing, have no pulse, and their pupils will be fixed. Tommy was 8 degrees below that. Autopsy results further challenged Michael and Angela's stories because, according to NBC News, the medical examiner determined that Tommy died from hypothermia, not a fall. So how did an eight-year-old boy get hypothermia? There was no way in hell Michael and Angela were telling the entire story, and these detectives were going to do whatever they could to fill in those blanks. Detectives launched a full-scale investigation and pretty early on found that Michael and Angela had installed security cameras in every room of their house. Though they did absolutely try their best to delete several of them, investigators worked their tech magic and managed to recover most of them. Detectives were then tasked with sifting through every single minute of that footage and in doing so, confirmed their suspicions that Michael and Angela were the human embodiment of toxic waste. Tommy wasn't even in the driveway that morning and anyone who listens to the rest of this episode is going to wish he had been anywhere, anywhere in the entire world but inside of that house. Hey guys, I am a subscription service hoarder. I am not in the business of missing out on bingeable TV. And because of the dedication I have to that, if there's a streaming app, I probably have it. Unfortunately, I can also forget things sometimes. And as it turns out, at some point in time, I managed to sign up for the same streaming service twice. This definitely felt like a me problem in that moment, but apparently more than 80% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. Thankfully, Rocket Money is there to point out the whoopsies like mine and will even take care of the cancellation process for you. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with just a simple tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try and get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. 
All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bigmad. That's rocketmoney.com slash bigmad. Rocketmoney.com slash bigmad. On the morning of January 17th, eight-year-old Tommy and his 10-year-old brother, who we'll call Blake, were sleeping on the cold cement floor of the home's garage. They'd been there for the past 16 hours, enduring temperatures as low as 19 degrees Fahrenheit. They were locked in there without any access to a bathroom, mattress, pillow, blanket, or extra clothing. At around 8.50 a.m., Michael went into the garage and found a very cold and nearly nude Tommy wearing only sweatpants pulled down below his knees. Tommy had soiled himself due to there being no bathroom in the garage, and Michael got so angry at Tommy that he ordered him outside where it was roughly 22 degrees and then used cold water from the spigot to hose Tommy off. During this torture, Tommy struggled to stand as he was already suffering the effects of hypothermia. He fell face first several times onto the backyard concrete patio. Tommy's inability to control his motor functions in the midst of hypothermia made Michael even more angry, prompting him to scream things like, Wake up! Are you alive? You fell on concrete! Can't send you to school, you fucking idiot! God damn you, get up, get up, fucking slob, get up. He then slapped Tommy in the face. Court records indicate that even though Tommy was now catatonic, Michael continued to scream at his son. It was so bad that Angela, who you'll soon learn is just as big a piece of shit as Michael, came outside and told Michael he should tone it down because the neighbors could hear. Angela then asked what was even going on, and Michael said that Tommy had fallen down because he was cold. Michael followed that up with, boo fucking who, now he's a bloody fucking mess. After that, the couple joined together to make fun of Tommy as a team for quote-unquote face-planting on the ground due to being cold. What happens next isn't totally clear, but detectives did find a video of Angela's youngest daughter asking her why Tommy kept falling. Angela explained to her daughter, he's hypothermic. Michael, however, delayed calling 911 for at least another hour, and at some point during those 60 minutes, Tommy lost consciousness and stopped breathing. According to Michael, during that time frame, he took Tommy to the basement and gave him a warm bath before performing CPR and calling 911. My initial thought here was that Michael only gave Tommy the bath to try and bring his temperature up, but detectives don't think the bath ever actually happened, and they don't think he gave Tommy CPR until much later than he claimed. Detectives continued combing through the surveillance footage and found that for years, literally years, Tommy and Blake had been the victims of extreme abuse at the hands of both Michael and Angela. The worst part of it all was that the abuse hadn't been a secret. 
Tommy and Blake's mother, Justina, had been screaming from the rooftops that her children were being abused, but no one did anything about it. To get a full grasp of exactly what I'm talking about here, we need to take this all the way back to the beginning. Michael and Justina got married in 2004 and went on to welcome three sons, Blake, Tommy, and another son who we'll call Stephen. The couple stayed together until December of 2015 when Michael filed for divorce. At first, Justina got custody of the kids, but in the summer of 2017, Michael filed for custody, claiming that Justina was abusive. And I want to be very clear here when I say that Justina is an incredible mother and would never hurt her children. Michael was lying because he wanted to hurt Justina. Newsday reported that police actually found text messages that showed Michael's real reason for wanting custody was to piss Justina off and avoid having to pay child support. Court records show that Justina fought back against Michael's petition for full custody, saying that she was the one who should be concerned about the kids being around Michael and Angela. Justina mentioned that she had filed two reports of sexual abuse against Michael and Angela, not only to the Nassau County Police, but the FBI as well. And she had done that in 2016, so no one could try and turn it around on her, claiming she was doing it in retaliation to anything. She had full custody of the boys at that point. I'm not going to go into the full details of those reports because it's horrific, But according to those claims, Michael would reportedly order his sons to do things that were really inappropriate to other people. And as far as I can tell, nothing was ever done about it. In early September of 2017, the judge completely ignored the reminder of those reports and awarded Michael full custody of the boys. At first, a no-contact order was put in place, but eventually that was dropped and Justina was allowed to see the boys for unsupervised visits. Weeks later, on October 31st, Justina refused to sign a forbearance agreement on her and Michael's home, and that's something your lender would send that allows you to stop paying your mortgage for a few months with no risk of foreclosure. Later that day, however, Michael punished Justina for refusing to sign it by calling the CPS hotline and filing formal child abuse allegations against her. He claimed that Justina had been hitting the children and poisoning them with some form of toxic brown medicine. Michael also alleged that Justina suffered from a mental illness which was deteriorating, claiming she was incapable of caring for her children. Following that call, CPS investigator C got involved with the case, and on November 1st, she visited a then 6-year-old Tommy and 8-year-old Blake at their school. According to the court records, both boys told C that they had no concerns at all about visiting their mother, that she didn't use physical punishment, and they weren't afraid of her. Though the opposite seemed to be true for their father because one week later on November 7th, Justina called CPS on Michael and Angela. She reported that her sons were being starved at Michael and Angela's house where they had been for the last two months. In that short amount of time, eight-year-old Blake had lost 13.2 pounds, six-year-old Tommy had lost 4.4 pounds, and four-year-old Stephen had lost 3.7 pounds. 
The American Academy of Pediatrics states that weight loss of 5% from baseline may be concerning. 13 pounds is 5% of 260. I can guarantee you Blake weighed nowhere near 260 pounds as an 8-year-old. According to the Cincinnati Children's Hospital, the average 8-year-old boy weighs between 46 and 78 pounds. Assuming Blake was at the top of that range at 78 pounds, a 13.2-pound loss would have been 16.9% of his total body weight. Justina also reported that Michael and Angela were beating Tommy and Blake on their heads, hands, and backs, putting the children in extremely long timeouts without food and drink, and making them stay outside in the backyard with no shoes. You might notice here that the youngest son, Stephen, isn't named in these abuse claims, And there's a really fucked up reason for that. According to court documents, Michael and Angela focused their abuse on Tommy and Blake because they were autistic. Their youngest brother, Stephen, wasn't autistic, so he didn't face the same level of abuse that his brothers did. That's a level of depravity that surpasses words. CPS took Michael seriously when he used them as a weapon, but Justina couldn't get anyone to listen to her no matter how hard she tried. She filed her first report with CPS on November 7th and attempted to follow up multiple times, but no one ever replied. According to court records, the report was marked as closed within just two days, and that was reportedly done without any investigation or effort to see if the children were, in fact, being abused by Michael and Angela. If anyone had looked into that report, they would have found that the children were losing weight very quickly and were obviously being abused. On December 19th, Justina met with C and two of her supervisors in person. During that meeting, Justina again told CPS about Michael and Angela's abuse and starvation of the children. She also provided them with a flash drive containing 320 files, which included direct evidence of abuse and certified transcripts of audio recordings. Those recordings showed that Michael and Angela were literally trying to brainwash the children into repeating extremely hateful and false allegations against Justina. For example, the children were forced to repeat things like, I don't love mommy. Mommy is mean. Mommy, don't hit me. Mommy, don't touch me. I don't want to go home. And I don't want to stay with mommy. The flash drive additionally showed that when the kids lived with Justina, they were happy. They'd always give her hugs and kisses and tell her how much they loved her. On the flip side, after they visited their dad, the children seemed scared, stressed, and visibly nervous. They also started wetting themselves at night and having nightmares. After getting the flash drive from Justina, CPS did absolutely nothing at all. They didn't even meet with Michael and Angela to ask him about the contents, which begs the question of whether or not it was ever even plugged into a computer. Nevertheless, because CPS did jack shit, the abuse just continued and escalated. As a result, Justina submitted a second report to CPS on January 2nd of 2018. Shockingly, Justina's second CPS report was marked closed one day later. Regardless of the fact that CPS was required to conduct an investigation,
Big Mad True Crime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, everyone's making New Year's resolutions right now, which got me thinking, what are some of the things about myself that I want to stay the same? Around New Year's, we tend to focus on how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we are already doing right. Maybe you finally organized your closet and now you want to tackle the pantry, or maybe you're crushing it with taking your daily vitamins, and now you want to start eating breakfast every morning too. Therapy helps you find your strengths so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. My therapist is amazing, and I can't imagine a world where I'm not spilling my guts to her every single week. Sometimes I want to change something, sometimes I just need to vent, and other times I need to be reminded that I'm doing more than enough. It's nice having someone who just knows every part of who I am and I don't have to be anyone for her, just me. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I know that I personally went through a couple of different therapists before I found the one that was right for me. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BigMad today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BigMad. On January 14th, Justina saw her boys for a visit and noticed severe physical injuries on six-year-old Tommy's bottom. According to court records, those injuries included bruises, coagulated blood spots, dark red spots, and black and blue marks throughout. Tommy told Justina that the previous day, Michael had hit him 12 times with his hand because Tommy complained. His complaint was that Michael and Angela were hitting him and putting him in long timeouts. After the severe beating, Michael put Tommy in another very long timeout without food or drink. As soon as Justina dropped Tommy back off with Michael, which she legally had to do, she called CPS and filed another report of abuse. I do want to take a moment here to talk about the impossible situation Justina was in because I do know that a lot of people are going to wonder why she ever would have taken those kids back to Michael's house. CPS was not listening to her, and that man had made allegations against her that were taken seriously, to the point where protective orders were put in place and she had to have supervised visits with her kids before they were eventually lifted. Justina had to play by impossible rules to even be able to see her children to be able to report the abuse they were enduring. I cannot even begin to imagine the level of agony that must have been. Continuing on, the following day, Michael withheld the kids from Justina during her scheduled time, even though he had texted her saying he was at home with the children. In the two and a half hours Justina waited to see her kids, a different CPS worker, M, showed up at Michael's house due to that report Justina had filed the day before. M knocked on the door multiple times, but Michael the cop wouldn't answer. Instead of calling the police himself, M asked Justina to go to the police department and file a report. Justina did follow M's instructions, but the police, knowing Michael was a cop, didn't do anything. They didn't send any patrol cars to check on the kids, and they didn't make Michael let her see her kids, even though it was her court-ordered visitation. I do know that can get into some civil ground there, but raging. 
Court records show that on January 16th, Justina left a voicemail on CPS investigator C's phone informing C that she'd be filing a complaint against her for conducting her CPS investigation in an extremely partial, biased, and unfair manner. Justina further stated that it was C who was responsible for the severe beating and assault of Tommy by Michael. After learning about Justina's intent to file a complaint against her, C did something so completely apprehensible, she filed a neglect petition against Justina. Among other things, the neglect petition alleged that Justina had neglected her children by using excessive corporal punishment and that her impaired mental health placed the children in danger. My soul is shaking. Obviously, C's claim was bullshit, and I don't even think she would have believed it because C had previously written on multiple CPS reports that Justina posed no danger whatsoever to her kids. Most recently, on January 15th, just two days prior, C wrote that there were no safety concerns that placed the children in immediate danger of serious harm, and that was only in regards to her investigation into Justina. This is the part that gets a little confusing, but do bear with me. C also filed a neglect petition against Michael for the injuries he inflicted on Tommy on January 13th. The marks on Tommy's bottom, which would have been the ones that Justina reported. Court records state that the neglect case against Michael was later adjourned after he admitted to abusing Tommy and took some classes at a local library. In doing that, he was able to keep full custody of his children. Michael's petition seemed like a slap on the wrist, but Justina's wasn't so simple. Investigator C seemed to do everything in her power to have her prosecuted and have her children permanently removed from her custody. C also went to court and had the judge issue a temporary full-stay order of protection, barring Justina from having any unsupervised contact whatsoever with her boys. Michael admitted to abusing Tommy, took some classes at a library, and was allowed to maintain full custody. Justina filed the reports of abuse that Michael admitted to, then she planned to make a complaint about the investigator for doing nothing about it until she said she was going to complain, and she was the one who was about to be barred from having any unsupervised contact with her abused children at all. For the next two-plus years, C and other CPS employees continued their campaign to prove the neglect petition against Justina. They claimed she was mentally ill, that she abused her children, and more. They even had Michael testify on behalf of CPS in favor of the petition because we're in the fucking twilight zone. According to court records, CPS employees also provided a completely false and misleading picture of the life of the children in the Valva home. Their reports made it seem like the children were happy, well-adjusted, and well-fed, and said that Michael was a good father and there were no concerns whatsoever about the children's health, safety, and welfare. None of that could have been further from the truth, and there's no way CPS didn't know. Justina had been reporting the abuse for years, but she wasn't the only one. Starting in September of 2018, while the bullshit neglect petition was in full force against Justina, 
staff members from Tommy and Blake's school started making their own reports to CPS. The school staff reported that Blake and Tommy consistently came to school crying and would be sick for weeks at a time without proper medical attention or rest. The boys had visible dirt on their bodies and lacked muscle tone. Tommy's teacher even mentioned that he was so emaciated she could feel every bone when she hugged him. It was obvious the kids were starving and they were often seen picking up crumbs off of the floor and searching through the garbage at school for food. One teacher actually started buying the boys snacks and juice just so they'd have something to eat. In September of 2018, when those CPS reports were first filed, the boys had lost a significant amount of weight. The school district weighed them and found that their body mass index, or BMI, was in the first percentile. Blake had a BMI of only 0.57%, and Tommy had a BMI of only 1.32%. A school psychologist spoke with Michael, explaining that the kids were hungry and needed more food, but nothing changed. The school staff further reported that the kids were coming to school in urine-soaked clothes and were wearing diapers, even though they'd been potty trained since they were two. One time, Tommy came to school so soaked that there was urine squishing around in his sneakers. Whenever the school would contact Michael and Angela to ask them to bring in clean clothes, they'd either say no or take their sweet-ass time getting there. The staff also reported that the boys often had injuries like cuts, bruises, and welts on various parts of their bodies. One time, Blake came to school walking bent over at the waist with visible finger marks on his arms and saying that his bottom hurt. The teacher had to put ice on his bottom to help him with the pain. One more complaint the school reported was that the boys would often come to school cold and unusually red, saying they had to stay in the garage because of toilet accidents. But when asked for more details, they said they weren't allowed to talk about the garage, and they also weren't allowed to go to the school nurse either. These reports were absolutely horrifying, but CPS did nothing to help Blake and Tommy. Instead of standing in the way of the boy's abuser, they were too busy trying to prosecute the woman who'd alerted them to it in the first place. If CPS had done their job, they would have discovered that Michael and Angela were human monsters. Their punishments were extreme, like not letting the boys have food or water, and if they tried to get something to eat or drink without permission, Michael and Angela would punish them further. This usually meant making them stand in the freezing garage or spraying them with cold water in the backyard. Sometimes they even made the boys eat hot pepper powder. As another form of punishment, Michael and Angela would force the boys to sleep on the cold concrete in the locked garage. That garage wasn't heated and it didn't have a bathroom. They slept there so often that the garage was titled The Kids' Room on the surveillance system. Tommy and Blake endured additional physical punishment from Michael and Angela, where they were hit and punched, and sometimes Michael carried them by the wrist with their feet off of the ground. In one incident, Tommy was thrown and dragged down a set of stairs. According to News 12, Michael and Angela were very open about their abuse in text messages. At one point after finding out his son soiled themselves, Michael texted Angela the following, I'll beat them up again. Talking don't work. Maybe a bloody face will. He already peed. No problem. I'll be kicking his ass again. Tell them I'm going to kick their ass again. Like I said, I'm going to hit them with a belt. 
This was the man CPS wanted to have full custody of these boys and the man they let testify on their behalf as a way to move their neglect petition against Justina along. This was the guy. Thankfully, in April of 2019, more than two years after the neglect petition was filed, a judge dismissed it, finding the accusations baseless. The judge said there was no evidence to support that Justina was abusive, but nevertheless, Michael still had custody of those kids. The abuse continued, as did the reports from the boys' school to CPS. At one point, CPS did come to the school and interview Tommy and Blake, and the boys were brave. The brothers told the investigator they were being mistreated and forced to sleep in a cold garage, but no one did a thing. The final complaint was called into CPS in November of 2019, and in that call, two teachers noted that they had contacted CPS numerous times about the way Michael and Angela were treating Tommy and Blake, but nothing had been done. The teachers noted the boys had fresh injuries and were visibly scared to discuss them. They also brought up that the boys were starving and would scrounge for crumbs on the floor. The teachers further noted that Blake and Tommy always had less food in their lunchbox than their younger brother, Stephen, who wasn't autistic. But once again, nothing was done. Court records state that Justina even called a CPS supervisor twice and begged her to investigate those reports. She reminded the supervisor of the long history of documented abuse by Michael and Angela and told her she was extremely worried about the safety of her children. The supervisor ignored Justina's pleas and instead shut down the investigation on January 8th, even though the report should have remained open for 60 days. That was the last chance anyone had to save Tommy's life because less than 10 days later, he was dead. Hey guys, the new year is in full effect and whether you're trying to make big changes or just settling back into a consistent routine, chances are you could use some solid audio to join you on that journey. I know for me, I cannot get through my morning routine or hair day without two hot takes or the vile files playing solidly in the background. A good pair of wireless earbuds is indispensable in 2024. And if you've listened to this podcast for more than a month or you're in the Big Mad True Crime group or join our weekly lives, you know that my Raycons are my ride or die and I will never buy another brand ever. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge, trust me. We were actually just talking about this on the live last Monday, and I have no idea how they designed these things, but they're the most comfortable earbuds I have ever worn. They fit perfectly in my ears, and I have really picky ears. A lot of earbuds make my ears sore, but not my Raycons. I wish I could describe this better than I am, but they just fit period. And they're not just comfortable, Raycons give you eight hours of playtime and an insane 32-hour battery life, and they're priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It comes as zero shock to me that Raycons everyday earbuds have tens of thousands of five-star reviews. Being a podcaster, I've tried so many different headphones and earbuds, and Raycon is my number one pick, period. 
Once I tried them, there was no going back, and I have so many pairs. I keep one in my bathroom, one downstairs, one in my car, and one in my climbing bag. That might sound absurd if I was talking about some other premium audio brand, but it's not. We're talking about Raycon here, and the price is just as impressive as their comfort, battery life, and straight-up quality. Seriously, try them. You will thank me. My go-to are their everyday earbuds, and they come with some pretty awesome features like noise isolation and awareness mode. I use awareness mode when I still need to be an adult while listening to my podcasts. I just use the tap function and boom, I can clearly hear my podcast while also being able to hear the millions of questions being thrown at me by the 14 kids running through my house. When I only want to hear my podcast, I just use the tap function again, and it's just me and my juicy gossip. Go to buyraycon.com slash bigmad today to get 15% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's buyraycon.com slash bigmad to score 15% off and free shipping. Buyraycon.com slash bigmad. On January 6th, surveillance footage from the Valva home showed Blake and Tommy in the locked, unheated garage. Patch reported that Tommy was shaking from the cold as he spoke into the camera saying he needed to use the bathroom. His eyes pleaded for someone to help him, but no one did. Instead, Angela sent clips of that surveillance video to Michael, who was at work. She asked what to do with Michael the next day if he wasn't going to school, and Michael replied, Fuck that piece of shit, Thomas. He's not going anywhere. Tommy froze to death after being forced to spend the night in that garage that night, and only then were the Valva children, Stephen and Blake, removed from Michael's custody. One week later, Michael and Angela were arrested and charged with one count of second-degree murder and four counts of endangering the welfare of a child, which stemmed from making Tommy and Blake sleep in the freezing garage. Following Michael and Angela's indictments, Justina gave a soul-crushing interview to the media. Patch reported that through tears, Justina said, It was difficult to sit in a courtroom and listen to, obviously, all the facts related to my son Thomas's death. I just kept thinking about how much abuse all my children encountered for years, day after day, day after day, being deprived of food, shelter, the basics, what every child should be provided with. And to think about all the institutions who failed to help him, who completely did nothing. Now everybody's trying to do the right thing, but where were you when I begged you for help when you could have saved my child's life? In June, Justina filed a lawsuit against Suffolk County, multiple CPS employees, and more. The lawsuit stated that Justina had provided the proper authorities with plenty of evidence that her sons were being tortured, beaten, starved, and physically, mentally, and sexually abused, but no one did a thing to stop it. And that because of their lack of action, the abuse against Tommy, Blake, and Stephen was allowed to continue and Tommy eventually died. A judge ruled that parts of the lawsuit could go forward against multiple people, including several CPS employees. The judge wrote, CPS, it seems, waited for the phone to ring someday when one of the Valva children would be dead. The judge said, crucially, Michael knew CPS treated him and Justina differently. The judge highlighted that CPS had Michael testify in support of the neglect charges against Justina. By doing that, Michael likely learned that CPS praised his care of the kids while not taking Justina's accusations seriously. 
the judge suggested that CPS actions in pursuing neglect charges against Justina made the situation worse for her children because it signaled to Michael that no matter what they found out about him, only Justina would be targeted. Knowing CPS was focused on Justina, Michael may have felt he could continue and increase abuse without consequence. As of this recording, Justina's lawsuit is still pending. In September of 2022, Michael Valva's trial began. According to Newsday, the prosecution claimed that for years, Michael and Angela acted together to abuse Tommy and Blake. The prosecution had multiple witnesses testify about the horrific abuse the brothers endured, and there was so much evidence of abuse to talk about that it took weeks for the witnesses to get through all of their testimony. Notably, though, none of the CPS caseworkers were called to testify. The prosecution told the jury and showed them through surveillance footage that on January 16th and 17th of 2020, Michael and Angela forced Tommy to sleep in that freezing garage. When Michael realized something was physically wrong with Tommy, he failed to seek medical help in a timely fashion, then lied to the first responders and doctors who tried to save him. Newsday reported that the defense admitted Michael was abusive to his children, but claimed it was Angela who was the ringleader of the abuse. They said she hated Tommy and Blake because they were autistic. They said it was Angela who demanded they be punished so harshly. The defense claimed that Michael wanted to leave Angela so the boys could escape the abuse, but he couldn't afford to move out. He was struggling financially due to the contentious divorce and his custody battle with Justina. While the defense conceded Michael was guilty of child endangerment, they argued that Tommy's death was a tragic accident and Michael never meant for Tommy to die. The defense suggested the jury convict Michael on the lesser charge of second-degree manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide. And that's gonna be a no. It is not an accident that a child is forced to regularly sleep in a freezing garage, forced to go to school in pea-soaked clothes, and desperate enough for food that they'll eat it out of the trash. Fuck Michael and the cave he crawled out of. On November 4th, the jury completely disregarded the defense's asinine plea and found Michael guilty of second-degree murder and child endangerment. He was now facing a prison sentence of 25 years to life. His sentencing hearing was the following month, and according to NBC New York, Michael sobbed in the courtroom as he apologized for his actions. His tears and words are the literal definition of worthless, so it's not even worth the rage it would ignite in repeating them. After Michael finished up with his bullshit apologies, the judge stated that he didn't think Michael intentionally killed Tommy, but he still had to be held accountable because it was his punishments that led to Tommy's death. Frankly, I would have loved for this to be way more ruthless than this. Not loving it, but let's keep going. The judge said, an eight-year-old boy who right now should be getting excited for Christmas is dead. I speak for everybody out here. We can never let this happen again. The judge sentenced Michael to the maximum of 25 years to life. Following the hearing, Suffolk County District Attorney Ray Tierney called this tragedy one of the most difficult and heartbreaking cases I've experienced in my nearly 30 years as a prosecutor. The torture that killed Thomas and endangered Blake's welfare was nothing short of evil. Thankfully, the story of this defendant ends here, but the pursuit of justice for Thomas and Blake continues. 
Angela Polina's trial began on February 27, 2023. According to News 12 Long Island, the prosecution said Tommy's death was the result of years of abuse, maltreatment, and neglect at the hands of Michael and Angela. The prosecution told the jury that Angela and Michael were responsible for the murder of Tommy after forcing him to sleep in that garage. They argued that Angela knew Tommy was sleeping in there, and even after seeing he was hypothermic, she did nothing to save him. The defense argued that the case was complex and tragic. They asked the jury not to get stuck in the mud and instead focus on what happened the day of Tommy's death, which they blamed solely on Michael. In a surprising turn of events, Angela took the stand in her own defense. According to Patch, she testified about the abuse she and Michael inflicted upon Tommy and Blake. She claimed that she and Michael both decided that the boy should live in the garage due to their bedwetting issues. Angela told the jury, I wish it had dawned on me earlier how bad it was to do that as punishment for incontinence. She said, I was evil. I exiled them. I didn't know what to do. My hands were tied, which is so unbelievably fucked because those boys only started wetting the bed after their abuse started. Angela admitted that she knew Tommy and Blake were sleeping in the below-freezing garage on the night of January 16th. She said in the morning, Michael found Tommy in the garage with soiled pants. He got very angry and took him outside to hose him off. Michael started raising his voice, so Angela asked him to keep it down. At one point, Michael told Angela that Tommy had fallen because he was cold. Angela said she looked at Tommy and he was crying and uncomfortable, but says he didn't appear to be in any kind of danger. So Angela continued helping the other kids in the house. Angela testified that after the other kids were on the bus, she heard Michael yelling at Thomas again. Then she heard a slap and Michael yelling, are you alive? Are you alive? She found Michael with his hands on Tommy's mouth, told him to remove his hands, and he did. Angela said she continued about her business and later went into the kitchen and found Michael bandaging Tommy's face from the fall. That's when their housekeeper arrived, and while Angela and the housekeeper talked, Michael came in and asked Angela to go to the garage. When Angela went in there, she found Thomas sitting on the floor wearing only sweatpants with a towel covering him. Angela claimed he was cold, but again, he didn't appear to be in immediate danger. She said Michael then took Tommy into the bathroom in the basement. Angela didn't go with Michael at first because she didn't think he needed assistance. She thought maybe Michael wanted to console Tommy, which would have been probably the most out-of-character thing he could have done. Angela testified that Michael eventually told her he wanted to put Tommy in the bath to clean him up. Angela said no, that it didn't seem like a good idea since he was so cold. She went to grab a clean towel and a heater instead. When she got to the basement, she found that Michael had put Tommy in that bathtub. Angela said she looked at Tommy and his eyes were closed. She told the jury, I called his name out and he didn't answer me. I called him again. He didn't answer me. I said, Mike, he's not answering me. Mike grabbed my hand and put his fingers on my chest and Thomas's chest and said, he's not breathing. That makes as much sense to you guys as it does to me. It's absolute fucking nonsense. Angela testified that she panicked and told Michael to start CPR on the couch while she ran upstairs to grab a phone and call 911. They put the phone on speaker and the dispatcher told Michael that Tommy shouldn't be on a couch. He should be on the floor, which is something that any cop would know. First responders raced to the house as quickly as they could, but there was nothing they could do. 
At the hospital, Tommy was pronounced dead. The jury didn't give a single shit about any of the excuses Angela gave, and on March 10th, they found her guilty as well of second-degree murder and endangering a child. She, too, now faced a maximum of 25 years to life. Her sentencing was also held a month after her verdict, and oddly enough, she had nothing to say before the judge handed down her sentence. According to ABC7, the judge gave Angela the maximum sentence, then dropped the mic when they told her, my only regret, Miss Polina, is that they don't have a garage with no heat and no mattress and no blankets and no pillows. Following her sentencing, Suffolk County presiding officer Kevin McCaffrey released the following statement. Now that justice has been served and the killers of Thomas Valva have been sentenced to lengthy prison sentences, the Suffolk legislature will move forward with its investigation into the failures of the county's CPS system and begin to do all we can to ensure that every child is protected from neglect and abuse. As of this recording, the results of the investigation into CPS have not been released. Since their trials, both Michael and Angela have filed appeals. If their convictions and sentences are upheld, they will not be eligible for parole until 2045. And even then, I think you would be hard-pressed to find a parole board willing to give these fuckers a second chance. I think it's way more likely that they will both die in prison where they belong, and Michael's going to have a front-row seat as to what it's like to be a cop in prison. For photos pertaining to this case, check out Tommy's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there today at noon Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's case and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just two whole dollars a month, your episodes are totally ad-free, and Spotify just joined up with Patreon, so I'm pretty sure you can get your Patreon on Spotify now, so shout out to them for that. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every single time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. All right, guys, we are officially at the end of this episode. I'm losing my voice. And honestly, like my mood is shit because that fucking case is horrible. Kids cases are some of the most horrendous cases to cover ever, no matter what. And so, yeah, I just hit a chord. I'm sorry. My mood is fucked. And so I'm so sorry. I still want to thank you guys for being really fucking kind and reviewing the podcast because it's the nicest thing you could ever do. Um, This is from Cindy Torts, and it says, Heather, I just want to say thank you for your podcast. I look forward to it every week. Makes me look forward to Mondays. You can tell how much time and passion you put into each episode, and you are hilarious. And thank you. I love you. I also love how you share your personal stories with your listeners and tell us when you're on the struggle bus, because we are too. You do a wonderful job, and I'm thankful for you. Well, Cindy Torts, I'm thankful for you. It is not easy covering some of these cases. 
Oh, yeah. By the way, like we're at the hot take part. Dude, I'm fucked up this case. I used to cover kids cases a lot more than I do now. I think like just I know the more that I've learned and the more that I've covered them, I think the worse it gets. This is not like a time heals all wounds thing. It is like the time makes the wounds worse. And maybe the older I get, the more mature I get. Fuck, that has nothing to do with anything. It's just all fucked up. I'm trying to explain something that like needs no explanation. It's fucking terrible. And Justina, what in the fuck? She went through actual hell trying to protect her children. And I'm not going to shit on all cops because it, uh, there's somebody who's going to be like, she fucking hates cops. No, I hate cops like this. Fuck that guy. And you can't listen to this case and not wonder if his position in law enforcement had any fucking thing to do with how this was handled. I would seriously like to look into how the fucking ball got dropped a million fucking times here and where it always dropped in his fucking favor. And the only time it didn't drop in his favor was when Justina had retaliatory bullshit thrown on her because she was going to complain that somebody wasn't protecting their fucking kid. So then, only then, were they like, fine, I'll protect your kid, but I'll also fuck you up too, bitch. Like, obviously, those weren't the exact words, so don't come at me if you're listening to this because you're ashamed of what the fuck you did with this case. (laughs) But, fuck, dude, what the hell? What in the actual fuck? Dude admitted to abusing his kid. And they were like, take some classes at the fucking library, walk in, check out Harry Potter while you're here, then go home to the kids. I hate situations like this where there's clearly a better fucking option. Justina was there the entire time. She was initially awarded custody. It wasn't until rat-ass bitch Michael decided, I don't want to provide for my children financially because if I bring them to my house and then I don't give them the fucking bare necessities, then I won't be out any money at all. Like, fuck you. Dudes who don't want to pay child support for their kids get wrecked. It's so fucking dumb. You think that anybody's making bank off of your fucking child support? First of all, it's a percentage basis and there's a fucking calculator. Nobody can take you to the fucking cleaners for child support, you dumbass. You're not Kanye. All right, and even Kanye's fucking child support is not that impressive to fucking Kim. Anywho, we're off topic. Nonetheless, stop sitting here thinking that anybody is like rolling in fucking cash and making cash snow angels because you paid child support. Bitch, moms are out here paying for rent and mortgages and healthcare and fucking antibiotics and doctor's visits and well checks and clean clothes, clean clothes, whatever. They do laundry and water costs money, power costs money, fucking having a place to wash laundry has costs money. They're over here doing everything. Do you know your kid's shoe size? Is it different than it was six months ago? They're constantly growing into new clothes. They're constantly needing haircuts. They need shit every day, like food, water, lights in their house heat in their house. So do you really think that your, I don't know, tops 800 fucking dollars is making a dent in what it takes to take care of your kid? You're high. You've lost your mind. You are, you are Delulu. You have eaten mushrooms that have not yet been discovered and are just living in a world where your most asinine thoughts have become fact. And like, if you go on Reddit, there's a ton of dudes who think like, this is just standard. Like, oh yeah, women are only having kids to trap men. On what planet do you think a woman thinks it's easier to have a baby with your dumb deadbeat ass and then take on 100% of the responsibility and you only pay a fraction of it because it somehow benefits them, you idiot? If you didn't suck so much, you wouldn't be in this predicament where you're mildly inconvenienced about providing for the life you helped create. 
all of this for fucking what? For what? Justina wanted to take those kids in immediately. Ugh, my bad. She wanted to take those kids in yesterday. She would have done it at the drop of a hat, and as we can see, there was literally nothing that would have made her an unsafe place for those kids to live. They would have been happy. They would have been fed. How the fuck did anyone let those kids stay? Write anything positive about their experience living with Michael, knowing that they were in the first percentile and lower of BMI charts. I'm going to, as we're looking this up, figure out my BMI, and then I'm going to tell you what my BMI would be at the percentages that Blake and Tommy were at. So bear with me here, but we're proving a point. BMI calculator for women. Okay, got it. Okay. U.S. units, I am 35. I'm a female. I am five foot six. I weigh 136 pounds. Calculate. My BMI is 22. So let's figure this out, what I would need to weigh. I'm going to pull this back up. Let me tell you like what my BMI would be at like 80 pounds. My BMI would still be a 12.9. I'm five foot six. That's insane. The level of emaciated these kids were, the fact that anyone ever looked at those kids, if they ever looked at those kids, and let them stay with Michael as an authoritative figure and even wrote that everything, he was even close to fine with them and had Michael testify on their behalf against Justina. Another fucking world. Absolutely insane. This is one of the worst CPS things I've ever heard. And I don't want people to think that I'm shitting on CPS. I'm shitting on these CPS workers because it's fucking bullshit. And I think any CPS worker who's a good one will agree that this is absolutely ridiculous. We do have a ton of social workers, CPS, DCFS, whatever it's called in the region that you're in, who listen to this podcast and are incredible people and have reached out in previous cases to talk to me about how things work and what the struggles are between caseworkers and supervisors at times, being understaffed, overworked, poor pay, whatever. Honestly, I have so much respect for fantastic CPS supervisors. There's like I, or just kidding, CPS caseworkers, whatever. If you work at CPS and you do your job well, so much respect for you because the world needs people like you. And it's the same with cops. Like if you're a great cop, I have so much respect for you. When you fuck up in either of those jobs, it is worse than fucking up as an accountant. And I don't think I need to explain why. So yeah, fucking raging. And I hope that the fucking earth shatters and there's punishment because nothing will ever be enough. And you can't undo what was done here, but something, there has to be some kind of punishment to make it so that no one wants to do this again. No one thinks they can get a fucking way with it. Ridiculous. I, like I said, I'm in a shit mood now. I love you guys, though. These cases are hard. Thanks for listening because people do need to know what to do when they see things like this, even though in this case, nothing mattered when people reported it. But seeing the signs and screaming from the rooftops, just, I wish that like cops would have done a welfare check. But again, this was an impossible situation because Michael, the abuser, was a cop. So nothing's impossible, but it certainly had to have felt that way for Justina and those school staffs. Oh, I love you guys. Talk to you soon. I'm so sorry. This is a tough case. I'm going to do a listener write an episode 
this month. I think it's, I recorded this ahead of time. So I'm pretty sure it's on Thursday of this week. If not, like it'll be a write in episode that's going to be a little bit of a palate cleanser so we can breathe. <laughs> My wrist cracked and you can probably hear it on the recording. Okay, 